All right, we're going to jump right in, John chapter 13. Uh, we're going to read a few, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then verses 12 through 17. So if you want to follow along with me, the Gospel of John, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. This is what it says. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his, his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and, that he, and knowing where he had come from, or knowing that he had come from God, and that he, he was going back to God, he rose up, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was around him. Now, just for time's sake, let's jump down to verse 12. If you want to read that middle section on your own time, it's just a little argument between him and Peter. It's fun. <laughs> it's Peter, you know. Anyway, this is what it says in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, he resumed his place at the table. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's a good word, huh? Why don't we pray together one last time and just ask the Holy Spirit to bless the hearing of the word and the receiving of the word. And uh, I'm going to pray that as we leave this place, we will all uh, leave changed and leave ready to head into Christmas Day and all of the banquets that we're going to attend and all the relationships that we're going to pursue with his spirit bubbling up inside of us. So, Lord, I thank you for every person that's here tonight, every person that's listening online. Uh, we thank you that you are here with us, for we gather in your name. We gather with a heart of faith and expectation to hear from you. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, each one of us, to do what only you could do inside of us, that you would speak to us, that you would have your way in and through us, and that as we leave this church building, that we would go out of this place as the church, living out your call and your kingdom on this planet. We commit ourselves to you now, in these moments, and for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been in this series called Tis the Season. Uh, because the Christmas season is amazing. I love the Christmas season. If you haven't been around, just want to fill you in briefly. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about decorations and just the joy of Christmas and the lights and, and the stockings and all of the amazing festivities that we participate in. We put up Christmas trees and Christmas lights and all this stuff. 
And that message was primarily about the fact that all of the things of the faith are really supposed to direct us towards Christ as opposed to being a distraction from him. And just like in Christmas, oftentimes all of the craziness and the decorations and all of that can sometimes distract us from the real meaning of the season. It's the same in our faith sometimes, all of the sort of accoutrements and all the stuff that we add to our faith and all the things that you need to do when you follow Jesus and do this and that and the Bible study and the prayer meeting and the small group and this and that. Sometimes we can get caught up in doing all of the things of the faith and forget the purpose of the faith, which is relationship with Jesus. And so we talked about not letting all of the decorations become distractions. And last weekend, they talked about the wants and the desires. Of course, this is a season of giving and receiving and presents and gifts and all of those things. And they really were speaking towards the heart of the matter, what's really going on sort of under the surface behind uh, the spending of money and buying gifts and racking up debt and all of these things that we do in this season. And uh, there was, of course, a number of different things preached, but the message was really, hey, you're enough you're enough in who you are with your family and your friends and, and really to take a look at the desires we have and the things we pursue. And so tonight, we're gonna look at one last sort of version of our uh, 2017 American experience of, the, of Christmas, just what society typically does in and around Christmas. So the title of this message is, I'll be home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas because this is what we do in Christmas time amongst all the decorations, amongst all the presents and all that. If you are anything like me and my family, uh, hopefully at some point you go home or you go somewhere where you gather with people. You know, it's not really about the decorations. It's not really about the presents. It's really about Jesus. And then maybe secondly, it's about the relationships that we have in our world. So I don't, I don't know how you grew up, but how I grew up is we would always go to Gma's house uh, for Christmas Eve and then the other Gma's house for Christmas Day. And in my family, it was always a big deal. Everybody was there. Huge crowds would show up. Every room was filled with people. And I always looked forward to it as a kid. I just loved it. it just To me, it just felt so magical. There's there's just a buzz in the air. Everybody's around and everybody's talking. You know, some of my dad's side of the family is off in the living room talking about politics. I don't know why you would ever want to talk about politics, but when I was a kid, I, all I knew is that Dems were bad and Libs were bad. I don't know who the Dems and the Liberals were, but apparently they were bad, so I knew to stay away from them. And they just liked to talk about politics. And in the other room, we got some of the guys watching TV and Grandpa always falling asleep on, the, on his lazy boy chair. And we got some of the aunts in the kitchen talking about the kids' school and the kids' sports and the kids' dance and the kids' music and just catching up on life and there's just everything going on. You know, all the kids are running around playing with toys or playing hide and seek or whatever it is and people are just everywhere but at some point in the evening we gathered around a table because if anything can bring people together, it's food. You know, and so we got together around a banquet table and, and it was the one thing that sort of drew us to, together and then of course later on the Christmas tree and the presents drew us together but it's always the the table first. Because I think there's something inside of us that recognizes that amidst all the stuff, it's really the gathering of relationship that matters. And so I don't know in this season what you have to look forward to. Maybe you know well the experience of gathering with large groups. Maybe you know well family and friends and large gatherings and maybe you don't. You know, maybe you, you spend your holiday seasons with, with yourself or with just a few and, and you, don't, you don't know the big crowds. 
But here's the thing. I would guess that whether you, I would guess this, that there are some people in the room that you know that you're going to be gathering with large crowds, and that really excites you because you love it. Like me growing up, you, you love the, the festivity. You love the buzz in the air. You love all the people. You love the family. Whereas others of you, you probably know that you're going to have to go to some big gathering with family, and you're probably hating that thought. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You just, you know you have to go, but you actually would rather spend the holidays alone because the people are just crazy. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't know what your experience is gonna be here in the next week or two in terms of gathering, but I do know this. Whether your family is gonna experience a large group of people during this holiday season or not, at some point, some way, somehow, you're gonna have an opportunity for relationship with other people, whether many of them or some of them, but we always have opportunity for relationship. And so this is what we do during the Christmas season. We gather, and uh, you know, when I was a kid, and, and even now, sometimes I like to just look forward to the holidays, and I imagine the Christmas gatherings. I imagine it like a banquet. I imagine it sometimes to look something like this. Banquet. You ever imagine your Christmas gathering to just look like this, like, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be beautiful. We're renting a castle this year. <laughs> you know? Everything's going to be perfect. It's going to look amazing. Now, just go with the analogy here. The banquet, this is not so much about really the stuff and the particulars, but just let each chair represent a relationship in your life. When you imagine the banquet table, the, the Christmas gatherings that you're going to go to, all the people, all the family and the friends that are coming your way over the next week or two, do you imagine that it's just going to be perfect? The turkey's going to be cooked perfectly. Everything's just going to look amazing. Every seat is going to represent a relationship in your life, a relationship that is perfectly formed, a relationship that makes you feel warm and cozy inside. Every relationship in your life that you know that you're going to interact with over the next week or two or over the next year, all the relationships in your world are just pristine, beautiful, perfect relationships. But I'd imagine if you're like me, instead of your banquet of the season or the relationships in your world looking perfect like this, they probably look something like this a hodgepodge of chairs thrown around your dining room table. You know, pull out the, pull out the piano bench and, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like the teenager that's like middle of the ground with the, little ki- with the little kid chair and you don't know which table you're supposed to sit at, you know? And you're just like, like you just feel out of place and everybody's like, yeah, you just belong over there, kid. You know, like... We typically don't get the castle and the beautiful banquet table. We get something like this. You know, with each chair representing a relationship, you always got those people that show up that look like they got it all together. You know, they're, they just got it all going on. They just look perfect. They're, they're high and mighty. They just, their world is just perfect. You almost feel like, man, I, I don't even know if I want to talk to you because I know when I ask you about your work, you're going to have a lot to say. When you ask me about my work, I'm going to, 
how's your family? Oh, I don't want to ask about your family. You're going to ask about my family, and I got issues. And, of course, you never have issues. You're perfect. You know those people that you're going to interact with that seems like everything's all going on? And then you got other people that, it's like, like, what is this? Is this like, is this a lazy boy? Or is this, is this like literally a 1980s like dining room set? It's on rollers, you guys. <laughs> Seriously, like, what is it? You're like those people that are going to show up to your Christmas dinner and you're like, who are you? Like, where did you come from? Like, I haven't seen you since 1989, but okay. Grandma invited you, so you're here. I mean, you just... You know, you got the person that you're like, I don't even know if you belong. Just go sit at the kids' table. And just all these different people in your world that represent these different types of relationships that we're going to interact with over the next week or, or over the next year. We have different relationships in our world. And typically, people are very different from us. They look different. They feel out of place. Sometimes we feel out of place. Sometimes we're the one that would rather sit at the kids' table because we don't even want to talk with these folks. And there's just stress that goes on with relationships, isn't there? It's hard to know how to interact with all these different relationships. And I just want you to know, if you're thinking going into this, this Christmas week and this, this holiday season, you know what, it's always so stressful for me. I, don't, I just don't even know if I can get along. My, my brother, I haven't spoke to him in a year. I'm just not, I'm not getting along with mom. You know, we're disagreeing. You have the stress of the meal. You know everybody's going to be yelling at each other and arguing about politics and, you know, all, all this stuff. I want you to know you're not alone when it comes to relational struggles. You have the same ones that we all have. All of us, most of us, the banquet table of our life and the relationships of our life look a whole lot more like this than like that perfect, pristine, beautiful banquet. Because we live in a broken world. And you know, Jesus, he had relationships just like you and I do. I know we like to imagine that because he chose his 12, he probably had a much better relational situation than we do. You know, I didn't choose my family. I can't, he, he didn't, he got a chance to choose his 12 and he still had some messed up dudes. Have you ever heard this, uh, this term, relationship goals? <laughs> this, se this section has. There's this term going around online, it's relationship goals, hashtag relationship goals. It's like a couple is like doing a handstand and the dude's like holding up his girlfriend. It's like, ah, oh, relationship goals. Like that's what you want to do in life. You know, you want to accomplish that. Like, you've made it in your relationship if you can, like, handstand your wife on a finger, you know? Like, <laughs> the rest of their relationship is miserable, but they're really strong. So, relationship goals, you know? Or, like, they, like, they, like stand next to the Lamborghini in Hollywood and take a picture, and then, like, but they're driving the Pinto. And it's like, oh, relationship goals. Like, we want to own this together. Like, don't look it up, but, and people, relationship goals, you know, it's these things that, that people are, like, presumably striving for. It's, it's, it's the stuff that they see in others, the victories, the positive relationships, the good stuff that they see in somebody else, and they're like, ah, oh, that's a goal for me and my relationships. Well, I want to look at Jesus' relationship goals tonight because Jesus gathered around a table similar to this one, it wasn't a Christmas table celebrating his birth. 
It was a last supper table preparing for his death. It's where we find ourselves here in John chapter 13. It's, it's just before the Passover, which if you know Old Testament history, the Passover is the one time in the year that commemorates the fact that the last night when the people of, of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, as they were crying out to God, God said, eat a Passover banquet, eat a Passover feast, because tonight my angel is gonna pass over you, and as you recognize me and put my blood on the doorframe of your house, I will pass over your house, and your children will not be killed. But all of the firstborn of the people of your, your enslavers, they will be put to death tonight because they have not listened to my word, and you will be set free. And so, so many years later, we find ourselves on this scene where Jesus, knowing that he himself is going to be the Passover lamb the next day, the final sacrifice for all of humanity, knowing that he was going to prepare to, to die the day that everybody else was going to eat of a banquet, he sat down with his disciples at a table like this to eat a final supper in preparation for his death. And he had some relationship goals that I think can help us in this season First relationship goal that he had is that he knew who he had. John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, the feast that was going to happen the next day, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to depart from this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world. I'm going to pause right there. Having loved his own. Having loved his own. You see, he had some. And the ones that he had... They were his own, but I also think that he owned them. You know, the ones that Jesus had that he was going to, that he, he did sit at that table with, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, the people that Jesus was sitting at that Passover supper with. He's sharing this meal with these guys, and he's literally, like, in this most intimate of way, pouring out Literally, his body and his blood before these guys, he's sharing with them this thing that we know as communion with his 12 disciples and what, what we might imagine about their perfection and their loyalty towards him was actually the first thing from the truth. You see, the, the people, the relationships that sat around him, the chairs that were represented around him that night represented just as much dysfunction as this dysfunction that you might sit with in the coming days. You see, there were some guys sitting around his table that night who loved him deeply. And there were some that presumably didn't love him. There were some that sat around his table that acted like they had it all together. They looked really good on the outside and they loved to talk about how loyal they were to Jesus. But when push came to shove, they would deny him. He had a couple of brothers that, that were sitting uh, next to him that they really imagined themselves as the best. In fact, one of them liked to refer to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Can you imagine that? At one point in time, these brothers asked rather boldly, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven on this city? Like crazy stuff. He had some around him who, you know, you might just, that might be their chair right there because like you really don't even know who, do any of you know who Bartholomew even is? Like, is that guy a disciple or who is that guy? You know, it's like, what do we even know about some of these guys? We had he had people at his table that would stab him in the back, that would flee from him, run from him in his time of need. And of course, of course, there was one sitting at his table whom he allowed to sit at his table all the way through communion who was gonna betray him. 
He had some dysfunctional dudes at his table, but he owned them. I don't know who you have in your world. You know, what lot has been given to you? You think, I didn't choose these people and I don't want anything to do with them. Well, guess what? Jesus did choose his people and some of them didn't want to choose him. He chose them. You would think that they would, all of them, lay down their life for him, which many of them did after the fact once they came to their senses and received the Holy Spirit. But some of them, Judas betrayed him, Peter denied him. I mean, these guys, but he owned them. He committed to them. I wonder, who is it that you have? What relationships do you have? What relationships are you gonna step into on, on dinner on next Monday or next Sunday night that you're just dreading facing those people? Because you don't want anything to do with them. I wanna challenge you to own those people. To say, you know what? I don't like you, but you're mine. You could do that, you know. Connor White punched me in the face once, and I said, you're my guy. I'm, I'm, I kid you not. When people do bad things to me, typically I'm like, I like you. Like, I just, this is how I was, grow, this is how I was raised in ministry, is even though we do the big, the big gatherings and the big stuff, there are some people that we need to own. We need to, they need to be our people. Now, this is how I was trained in ministry, doing Young Life. Who are your guys? Tell me your guys. Give me names. Don't tell me that you do a ministry and you preach on big stages. Don't give me all that. Tell me who your guys are. Who are your girls? Give me names. I think that when it comes to relationships, whoever it is that you have is who you should own. You should own them. Jesus owned his. His relationship goal number two is he loved those that he had. Verse two uh, it says that knowing that he was going to go, uh, verse one, sorry, knowing that he was about to depart to the Father, he and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved these guys to the very end. He loved these guys all the way up until his death and beyond. He loved these guys to fulfillment. Really what this word is, is not talking about just the end in a time uh, timeline like loving them all the way up to the end or loving them like to the end of a story well now it's over what this word actually means is he loved them to the fullest extent of his love it was like a fulfillment of his love that's what the greek word actually is he loved them to the end he loved them in an absolute way I love that it's expressing this about Jesus's love before he went to the cross the night before in an act of service and intimacy with the 12 relationships that he had. See, he knew that he couldn't physically be in the flesh with every human to every, ever walk the earth, but he knew that he could represent who he wanted to be to these 12, the ones that sat at his banquet table in hopes that they would then multiply. He loved them to the fullest extent of his love, both on this night and on the next day as he gave his life for them. Relationship goal number three. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. Verse two, during supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. It goes on to say that he got down and he served him. Jesus knew 
who he was. Listen, he knew who they were, but more importantly than knowing who they were, he knew who he was. Here's the thing. you got all kinds of people in your world. You have all kinds of relationships in your world, and they're going to treat you in all kinds of different ways. But how you respond to somebody else says everything about who you are and nothing about who they are. How they treat you says everything about them. I get that. But how you respond to others says nothing about who they are. It says everything about who you are. We like to blame other people all the time. Yeah, well, if they weren't so blank. Yeah, well, they did this to me, and so I responded in this way, and I get it. Like, I'm human too. I have a temper. I am, I am not very good at this relationship thing all the time. If you know me, you know that's true. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to all of us, but here's the truth. We have to really think about the way that we respond to the relationships in our world says everything about who we are. And it really speaks nothing about who that person is. I wanna encourage you to truly understand who you are. I had one of the most touching in a sad way heartbreaking moments with my four-year-old son just the other day. I told Jess about this. I went into his bedroom and he drew on the wall in crayon again. <laughs> you know, and I, and I grabbed the kid. Parker, why did you do that? I told you not to draw on anything but paper. And this is the first time he did this. And he just, it was crazy because normally there's an argument and, you know, back and forth and, you know, go to timeout and all that. But he just goes like this. He goes. I go, what does that mean, son? He goes, the devil made me do it. <laughs> I kid you not, dude. And then the worst part, this is what he said. God didn't make me good. And I said, what did you just say? He said, God didn't make me good. I always do bad. And I grabbed his face and I said, look in my eyes, son. God did make you good. God did make you good. Every one of us chooses to make poor choices in life at times, and that's what you did. But you are a good boy. That's who you are. What you did is what you did, but who you are is God's child, and you are good. And I just could not believe that a four-year-old had that in his mind, but you know what? We get similar thoughts in our mind all the time, don't we? Do you know who you are? Jesus can sit around a table like this with people that he knew were gonna betray him mere hours later, and he knew that he was able to do what he did, his relationship goals, his service and his love and his sacrifice to them because he knew who he was. It didn't matter who they were. He knew that he had come from God. He knew he was going back to God. By the way, you came from God and you're going to God. And so it doesn't matter what Aunt Phyllis acts like or crazy cousin acts like. It doesn't matter who's stabbing you in the back. You're the one with the spirit living inside you. You're the one going to heaven one day. So when people live like hell, expect them to live like hell because unless you love them in their life, that's probably where they're gonna go. 
If you know where you're going, you have the responsibility to lay down your life and sacrifice to love them no matter how they treat you. Do you know who you are? Number four, he served the ones that he had. He rose up from supper, verse four. He laid aside his outer garment and taking up the towel of a servant, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was around him. He goes on to argue with Peter about, well, hey, if you need me to do this, then wash my whole body. And he's like, well, chill, I'll just wash your feet. It's all good. <laughs> but I just want to point something out about this. He, he still... He, the king of the universe, the one that deserves to be sitting in this chair or a better throne than this, at his final supper should have had people that were bowing down to him. Instead, he gets down and he bows down in front of them to wash their feet. And much has been said about this, probably preached about this, and oftentimes people preach about the Peter bit and how he argues with Peter and Peter says, hey, I'm going to go to the end with you. I'm going to, you know, I'll give my life for you. And people will probably preach many messages about how he got in front of Peter and had this exchange and how he foretold the fact, Peter, you're going to deny me and all that, but I'm not going to go there right now. What I want to talk about is this. Can you imagine when he got in front of Judas? Has anybody ever preached about that one? It doesn't talk about it, so we probably don't preach about it, but he got on his knees in front of Judas, and he started washing that dude's feet. I'd imagine that he's looking at him right in the eyes, knowing that mere hours later, he's going to be close enough to see him in the eyes once again as he kisses him on the cheek to betray him. He still served even the one that would turn him over unto his death. If you're looking for a relationship goal in your world, it should be service. Because you might not be able to have the perfect conversation with every relationship in your life. You might not be able to mend every broken relationship in your life. But I'll tell you a good start. It'd be service. It's hard to argue with somebody that is humbling themselves and serving you. It's just really difficult to argue with that, you know? It's hard not to have your heart softened when somebody is loving you and serving you. And so I don't know the, the relationships and the struggles that you're about to face or that you will face or the relationships that you have at your job or your school or on that team or that whatever it is those relationships that you've been avoiding, you have a responsibility not to avoid them, but to serve them. Because you might be the only Jesus that that person ever experiences. Relationship goal number five, he set the example. When he had washed their feet, setting the example, he put on his outer garment again and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. I've given you an example. You know, there's some aspects of our faith that have to do with what we know and what we believe and some aspects of our faith that have to do with what we do. 
You know, we need to know who we are. That's an identity question. That's a knowledge question. That's a heart issue. Identity is on the inside. But service is on the outside, right? I mean, Jesus set the ultimate example of sacrifice as he climbed up on the cross, laying down his very life for us. But he also set an example in an intimate setting of the supper table. Because the reality is, what he did on the cross was the most uh, amazing, monumental act in all of human history. The greatest sacrifice. He was the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb that would pour out his blood for the salvation of all mankind. But there's an intimacy that, co- that came around the, the supper table for him. An intimacy as he looks in the eyes of Judas, as he looks in the eyes of Peter, as he speaks to these guys in the midst of the broken relationships that they had. And he showed them, hey, I'm going to love you until the end. He even foretold Peter. He said, hey, after you deny me and when you come back, you know, I got a plan for you. And Jesus tells us all here, I'm the master, I'm the Lord, I've set you an example, blessed are you if you do it. Blessed are you if you do it. I want to close with one last scripture here. You've probably heard it before, you've preached on it before. As you think about your banquet table that you're going to approach this week, maybe numerous tables that you're going to approach. It's not really about the decorations and the lights and the presents and all that stuff. It's not even really about whether the table looks good or the chairs match. What it's really about is the relationships and the individual people that you have in your world. Will you own them? Will you love them? Will you serve them? That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. You probably have heard it before. But something new happens in the heart of a person when they come to know Christ. And I hope something new has happened in you. Because when you come to know Christ, everything should change. Everything should change. What you believe should change. How you act should change. How you spend your money should change. How you interact with the opposite sex should change. How you interact with the same sex should change. Everything about your life should change. Not because you should follow all these religious rules, but because the spirit of God living inside of a human being naturally will change you. Because when you were once a dead person, now you're an alive person, you're gonna act different than when you were dead, right? This is what it says. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. If I could put it like this, we regard or we look at none of the relationships in our life according to fleshly issues. Even though we, want, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're wondering what your ministry is, it's a ministry of reconciliation. That's what he gave you. That is, that in Christ, God 
was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. You might be the only Jesus that the relationships in your world ever experience. And if that sounds weird to you, don't let it be weird. I'm not saying that anybody is Jesus, but an ambassador is the fleshly representation of, of the government or the president or the emperor or the God that they are sent from. And this is what our Lord calls us, is his ambassador, his representation. He says, I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you and as you allow my spirit to flow through you and come out of you and act from you and, and love through you and speak through you, they're gonna see me through you. And so I know you're gonna approach relationships that are difficult this week. And if not this week, at some point, because we all do, it's 100% guarantee that you're gonna have some relationships and they might be a hodgepodge of relationships. They might be some that you love and some that you hate and some that you dislike and some people that believe different from you and some people that really rub you the wrong way. And all You probably are gonna experience all of them because we all do. But we're called to be ambassadors for Christ no matter who it is that we interact with. However it is that they act, whatever it is that they say, whatever it is that they do to us, it's our responsibility to be Jesus to them. Will you receive that call tonight? Will you answer that call this week? Will you make his example be your relationship goals in life.